I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Biden's bottomless polling pit, whose children are they, DeSantis versus Disney, 65 speech censoring project, more Veritas, which means truth, the New York Times, and Tulsi Clobbers Romney, the Ukrainian labs. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I call this one Biden's bottomless polling pit. And I really do want to talk briefly about a recent poll that's very alarming to the Democrats and to um, President Biden, who says he is indeed going to run again uh, in 2024, which I, I think his party finds simply astonishing. But in any case, he says he's going to run again. I wanted to mention among the things that were in this uh, rather large poll that was done um, by that is a popular polling group, in any case, a large poll, which is looking at not just overall what people think about the direction of the country, because the answer is 70%, 70% of Americans say the country's on the wrong track. These are very alarming numbers to a Democrat party because they have, obviously, the White House, the Senate, and the House. So they're, they're in charge. They can't really point the finger at the Republicans. And America doesn't like the direction that they're in. And then particularly, people were asked about President Biden's handling of inflation. Um, and so, the, again, 70% of Americans saying country's on the wrong track. But then as to inflation, very high disapproval numbers uh, of President Biden's performance on inflation. And it's kind of interesting because Biden recently in some speech said, well, you know, prices, for example, he said, are really high because, um, because of the way the global economy works. He tried to blame COVID tried to blame COVID, uh, and he also tried to say and the big reason for inflation is Vladimir Putin. Make no mistake, the current spiking gas prices are largely the fault of Vladimir Putin. America, by a very significant majority, is saying, I don't think so, not so fast, Mr. Biden. So people are not uh, buying this ar argument on inflation or gas prices being due to uh, the Russian leader Putin, even if they don't like him otherwise. Now, a lot of other arenas, areas where just very negative approval numbers negative uh, reaction by the American people to policies uh, under the Biden administration. And as I say, overall 70% disapproval. But I was gonna say there's also this interesting aspect of this, because I would say in America, you know, they're Democrat, the Democrat party we talked about yesterday, they have their little conversation internally in Washington and you know where to go, where, where to head to in the midterms. And you have the uh, communist squad, you know, the uh, AOC's led squad, which is just a flat out, they're, they're just communists. I mean, they say they're socialists, but socialism is the economic system communists use. They're very much cultural Marxists. They actually believe the government should control pretty much everything in life. And those people and their followers, AOC and others, say that the answer is to make the American people happy, you know, just, you know, gun it. If you were driving a car, just gun it, you know, pedal to the metal, every left-wing policy you can think of, just go for it. That's what they think the answer is to Biden's poll numbers. They think, you know, that America is just frustrated because Biden's not doing enough fast enough to make everything free, to remove all that one thing they push on, the, the communist squad pushes on, is trying to say that the president should really take action and just obliterate, magically wave his magic uh, economic wand and take away all college debt. And this is what they're urging he do, the president do via executive order. So they've got that aspect. Then they have many more Democrats elected to Congress probably just traditional Democrat districts in the House where, you know, these people aren't communists. They're really not on board with uh, the, you know, the whole agenda of AOC. But they also recognize how bumbling Biden appears. And many people, I mean, many polls are showing the American people are questioning Biden's mental acuity, his capacity to function as president. 
But these people who are in Congress, they're Democrats, and they're, they're saying, if anything, you know, slow down this socialist agenda. I don't think people like it very much. I think we're suffering because people don't like it. So they have their battles. But on our side, on the conservative side of the aisle, it's actually simply amazing. I, I find these things so interesting. So the January 6th committee created by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrat-led House, but with two very prominent uh, figures on that January 6th committee, the Inquisition Committee, because they are um, Republicans. And so, and they've been taking the lead and trying very much to get headlines and, and media time. Um, they are fresh back uh, from, I believe both of them attended the Sea Island, uh, they call it the uh, Professional Republican Convention, with the big Sea Island meeting where the big dollar people on the conservative side try to plan out the future and decide who's going to be the candidate. And, and they just decide, I think they're going to decide everything if they only could. So you had that meeting end. And so now you have these Republicans. And I want, I'm going to tell you this. I find it truly shocking. Adam Kinzinger, Adam Kinzinger, a Republican who agreed to serve on, as a Republican, agreed to serve on the January 6th committee, is actually considering a timeline, considering a timeline to run for president in 2024. Adam Kinzinger, potential uh, presidential announcement, uh, contemplating a timeline, how he would move forward in running for president. So Kinzinger, I don't know if he's thinking Biden's not really going to run or, uh, or you know, uh, or that he, Kinzinger, so not Biden, but Kinzinger is thinking that, you know, Republicans need a choice other than Trump or other than any else you think is going to run in 2024. Kinzinger is thinking he's going to run and apparently calculating he might actually win a, um, you, you know, a significant majority of Republicans to get him the nomination. So Kinzinger is thinking about the Republican nomination as in Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. Now, he's another one. He is a very moderate Republican. I mean, in a state like Maryland, you'd have to be very moderate as a Republican to be elected governor. He's thinking of running, actually talking about visiting Iowa and allies or supporters of all amazing things. Representative Liz Cheney, uh, who is the main anti-Trump person serving Jan January 6th committee, she, according to her allies, her colleagues, is thinking of running for president 2024. And they kind of have the same issue going on on the Republican side as the Democrats have on their side. Democrats are trying to figure out, does the country really want the socialist whack job policies that they've been operating under? And they're concluding no, that you know, most Americans don't like the direction of the country. But the Republicans you know, on the conservative side, yeah, they're looking at this, uh, what they think might be a field that they may be open to them in 2024. Obviously, President Trump making a lot of noises about a lot of comments and people are interpreting he's going to run. And I do hear from people who know him. Yeah, he's, he's going to run. So you have Trump in the field and these other people, <clears throat> again, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, Representative New Hampshire Adam Kinzinger from Illinois and Liz Cheney of Wyoming are all allegedly contemplating putting their hat in the ring to run for president in 2024, recognizing, as they all do, that Trump is going to run. And I, I say it's the kind of the, the you know, Republicans, the conservative side of the aisle, but the same issue the Democrats have. <clears throat> they sit in Washington in their political bubble, in their political world. They get accolades all day long from left-wing media, uh, especially the two serving on the January 6th committee, Kinzinger and Cheney. They sit in that committee. They are getting accolades galore and cheering on from the, uh, you know, the anti-Trump core or segment of the Republican Party. And they're trying to calibrate. They're actually thinking that throughout the country, across America, that Republicans are just dying to have someone moderate and anti-Trump to run. I mean, it's one thing to think you'll get media attention, uh, you know, you may get some support from some segment of the population in your state, but they're actually thinking that their anti-Trump views are so widely held that they have a viable chance of getting the nomination to run for the presidency in 2024. I find that breathtaking. I think they could not be more out of touch with the base of the American people. Um, and actually, the Democrats, as I said, the same issue. Is, it, is, it, is AOC right? And the radical left agenda is just that people in America are clamoring for it. I mean, they, the radical, the communists on the left, the AOC squad types, they have the activists on their side. I mean, they can make their 
presence or their percentage of the Democrat voting base seem bigger because all the you know lunatic uh, protesters, uh, people who will show up at a moment's notice, snap of a finger, or you know, uh, organize an artificial protest anywhere, the Antifa, the Black Lives Matter, people all waiting to be given instructions by someone like AOC, hey, show up here, protest this, create a, create a scene, you know, do whatever you have to do. She's got the activist mob on her side, AOC does. So it's very interesting with Democrats on the Republican side, all I gotta say is I will be floored if any of those people the three I mentioned again, Republicans supposedly concerned running against Trump, which is Hogan, Adam Kinzinger, and, Chan, and uh, Liz Cheney, can even make a dent in, the, um, in, their, in their quest for uh, the Republican nomination. I, I, think it's, I, I think it's absurd. But anyway, wrapping up the first five, you know something, it's one thing that happens in politics, and I notice it all the time on all sorts of issues. Even on the conservative side, people tend to hang around with people who think like they do. And so you may be in a kind of the political bubble where everyone thinks like you and everyone thinks you're exactly right on XYZ issue and you're right on this stand and you're right to oppose this and stand for this. And you can think that everyone thinks that or at least that a majority of people think that. You can think of this on the Republican side. Uh, and the same is true in Washington, D.C. Both parties, the kind of uniparty uh, that exists, the uniparty in control of Washington, they live in their little bubble world and they think everything they're doing is right and it is popular and that's going to bring them uh, people to be, uh, get behind them and the aocs of the world i mean you know they're truly they're communists and what they want to do they're cultural marxists they believe in socialism they believe in government control over pretty much everything in your life and they think most americans want this or or, or that they would want it if they only understood better what it is the left is pushing so in the world of politics, you know, if you surround yourself with everyone who thinks like you, you don't really know what the country thinks at all. I'm going to tell you here, I'll just, I, I would be blown away, truly shocked, if any of those Republicans could make the slightest headway um, in, the, um, in the presidential quest and starting out showing up in Iowa and all those early states. Um, and I also would think even the Democrat Party, they, they can through there, they may have people, I will say the entire Democrat Party has embraced cultural Marxism. I mean, the Democrat, the, the uh, platform, the entire entirety of the Democrat Party is way off the American playing field, way off the American baseball field, out into the world of radical leftism. That's where today's left lives. But the question of whether the American, but they, are, they managed to hide that through happy sounding uh, terms, happy sounding um, names for bills, or if they have a new cause they want to push, they always have very pro-American friendly sounding names. And so I think it's taken a while for more Americans to wake up and recognize how radical the Democrat party is. But whoever's leading that party, I am very sure is fully aware that they cannot go full AOC, full communist, full cultural Marxist, and win in 2022 or in 2024, unless, of course, uh, they can win by cheating, which would be a whole other issue. So wrapping up the first five, you know, I, I will tell you that I think those numbers about Biden's unpopularity are 100% true. In fact, even probably more true than what the polling says. I think that Americans are on both sides of the political aisle and, and all age ranges and every race, ethnicity, national origin, and skin color, the majority do not like the direction of this country. They don't want to see a president who abandons the southern border, among many other issues. They don't want to see it. And at, at its core, what it really brings up is, in my view, the unpopularity of Biden and his administration is people don't get a sense out of the Biden team of anyone in the Biden White House, anyone in the Biden administration, anyone in the Democrat leadership in Washington, no one gets a sense from those leaders of love of America. They do not get a sense from the Democrat Party that there is they, this you know, Ronald Reagan was so good at expressing it. Um, you know, uh, George Washington, um, George Washington originally, but George, I'm sorry, George W. Bush. Even the more moderate Republicans, you had a sense from them that they love America. And if anyone was able in recent times to convey love of America, love of the American people, it was Donald Trump. I think when people watch Donald Trump speak and they hear what he's saying. They sense this guy loves America and loves the American people. And no one listening to anything, Biden, Harris, or any of the other cabal running America from the anti-American left, no one 
in any degree, in any way at all, conveys that love of America. And I think underlying the terrible polling numbers Biden is facing is a whole range of issues, but at its core, many people are viscerally reacting to the recognition that you never hear love of America, love of the goodness of America, love of the American people. You never hear it from the anti-American left, and people don't like that. And that, my very fine friends, Again, longer than the first five, my first 15, my first five is on that topic. Um, and there you go, that's, my, that's um, my very fine friend, today's first five. Okay, I wanna hit this story about this uh, film we saw last night. Last week, uh, I think it was last Monday, I had on a show, on my show, a woman named Rebecca Friedrichs, and she's an author, she's a former public school teacher, she's a former plaintiff in a case. They went all the way to the Supreme Court and she um, she wrote a book called Standing Up to Goliath, and she's talking about Goliath being the, the teachers' unions in this country, and the teachers' unions just corrupting the schools, corrupting the teachers, corrupting the curriculum. So she, had, she wrote a book, and then her film, which had its big release yesterday. Yesterday, uh, Monday, March 14th, was the day around the country that the film by Rebecca Friedrichs was released, and the film was called Whose Children Are They? Whose children are they? And the website is whose children are they, I think, org. But in any case, so last night was a big night. Uh, my husband and I went to see the film, as did many, many other people. And what you got from the film, and I still I encourage you to go to their website, find out the way it's coming forward. You can see the film. If you didn't see it last night, find out how to see the film and recognize the extremely, I mean, I've interviewed Rebecca a bunch of times. I've had her speak at conferences I have hosted. I, you know, I, I know her, and I still, last night, watching that film and listening to the commentary and listening to the interviews afterwards, it still struck me even more deeply what a really profound point she's making, which is the teachers' unions in this country, not necessarily in Texas where the teachers' unions don't have that much power, but the school boards do, but the teachers' unions in this country are radically left-wing, are funded by radically left-wing sources, have almost overwhelming power over most of the public schools in the country. They have pushed the public schools and the curricula, the topics, what the children have learned, radically to the left on issue after issue after issue. The film is extraordinary, and her point being, of course, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Parents of children can take charge of their schools. Parents can insist on knowing what the kids are taught. Parents can insist on, on knowing uh, what the kids are learning about CRT, critical race theory, about the LGBTQ agenda, and what they're taught, what sex education now is in the public schools. Parents have the right to do that. And she, her point is just all of what the teachers unions have done can be reversed by parents by parents and families, you know, taking teachers under their wing, helping teachers understand you do not have to pay the union dues. If you don't want to, you don't have to pay teachers union dues and you should stand up and, re and reject and oppose to and refuse to teach this radical, ugly leftist agenda that is just permeated the public schools. So that was her film, really, really great. And I wanna contrast it with uh, what is coming up out of the state of Florida. And this is so interesting. So in the state of Florida, he who will someday be president, I will say, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, has been very active in supporting parents. As you know, this movement around the country, parents going to uh, school board meetings and showing up at schools and just saying, basically, you're not gonna keep teaching my children advocacy for the LGBTQ agenda. You're not gonna teach my kindergartner that he or she gets to decide for themselves whether you are a boy or a girl. You're not gonna teach gender fluidity to small children. So this activism around the country and, and I mean growing awareness for the first time among many parents that this is what the schools were doing. And then you had, uh, you have parents speaking up and showing up and in Florida, they had a bill that went through the House and the Senate, I believe it's going to be signed by Governor DeSantis, which basically just says, we're not teaching advocacy for the LGBTQ agenda for at least kindergarten through third grade. It had many more points in it, but the gist of it was to get the, get the public schools out of the business of propagandizing young children 
to believe in, embrace, and support the LGBTQ agenda. And so the left, the LGBTQ activists, who actually want children taught in kindergarten that you get to pick your gender, they've been attacking DeSantis, and they came up with this don't say gay slogan. If the left is good at anything, it is making up slogans that are catchy and memorable, even though they're off, actually what they're advocating for is about 100% opposite of what anyone would want them to advocate for. No one actually wants their agenda, but they have, they're good at coming up with slogans. So there was a conversation. Uh, so this, this bill now, the, the uh, LGBTQ activists uh, got very, very involved and they were trying to accuse, they, were, they call it the Don't Say Gay bill, and they're trying to bully uh, Governor DeSantis, who is, he is like unbullyable. That probably should be a new word in the dictionary, unbullyable. He just doesn't get phased. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't raise his voice. But he says, not going to get pushed around by you. You're not, you, the LGBTQ activists, you're not going to interfere with the effort of the legislature and the governor to protect small children from the what has become not the rare occasional once in a while, but the ongoing onslaught of sexual propagandizing young children causing young children at the age of five and six and seven to question whether they really are the gender that they are, think they are because maybe they're really not and putting all sorts of just contorted hogwash into the minds <coughs> of children, excuse me. So this conversation came up on the Bill Maher show and I wanted to ask Mr. Becker, this was an amazing conversation, Bill Maher and two guests got into this. We have, I think we have that clip, right? Yeah, we do. Okay. Uh, we wanted to talk about this on the show. I'm glad somebody <laughs> asked this. Is Florida's don't say gay bill designed to trap Democrats into saying they support teaching young children about sexuality? Is the question, but we can broaden that to anything about that. I mean, I was reading about it today. It's, uh, it's I mean, if people don't know, this is something DeSantis is about to sign. Yeah. And I guess it's a reaction to Republicans who feel that there's too much talk in lower grades. I think it's only, they're talking about kindergarten to third grade. So we're talking about very young kids who, you know, as always with this stuff, you know, there's not like there's no kernel of truth in that maybe kids that young shouldn't be thinking about sex at all. I, I don't think it's... Parents are a constituency no. like the working class who deserve to have but, that representation. So I don't know if this, I read the we, bill but, also. But seriously, do we know that this was an enormous problem, no, pervasive but, in Florida schools? No, but like the, this, this, this I, reeks to me of something that happened on a few occasions and has been blown in. Well, the, I, 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 I don't, I don't no, know I about mean, that. The same thing with the race, with the CRT thing. Yeah. I, I feel like it's, it's disingenuous when the liberals say, you know, they, 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 we just want to teach history right. and like no one's against that well I, i'm sure there are some fucking rednecks who are against that but most reasonable people are not against realistically teaching history it's not like you can't mention slavery they're talking about something else that is going on i've read too many reports too many first person reports from teachers who say i can't go on teaching like this because this is insanity what i'm doing in this classroom separating kids by race and oppressors and non-oppressors and they're little kids it is going on i don't know what is going on with the gender as much okay why that was so cool so the other two people in that panel one is the new york times opinion writer frank bruni and he'd been on the show in part to talk about a book that he just released. Um, and he was, and, and he openly says in the show, I'm gay. And so he was nervous about what the intention of this bill was. But it was so interesting what this New York Times editor was trying to argue. And you heard a little bit of it in that clip, his exchange with the other uh, woman who was there was a Newsweek editor, deputy opinion editor, Bataya Ungar Sargan. So what this New York Times editor, who uh, named Frank Bruni, was arguing is that this is a gross overreaction on the part of the Florida legislature and the part of Governor DeSantis. You know, maybe one or two weird things happen in some public school and all of a sudden all the public schools have to be burdened by this new law. And he was trying to opine that, you know, really there's hardly any advocacy for LGBTQ stuff. You know, and, and so there was this was an, an overreaction, uh, Republicans overreacting, one or two small incidents. And what's really great is in this longer segment, you know, both Bill Maher and the other woman who was on there, the Newsweek deputy opinion editor, were both saying, I, I don't think so. And I don't even know, I'll tell you, my friends, I don't even know if the New York Times opinion writer, Bruni, 
I don't know if he does realize how widespread this absolute um, pushing of the LGBTQ agenda, especially the transgender part of the agenda, to young children. I don't know if he is, is unaware. I mean, I, I have to say, I can't believe he can hold a position in the New York Times in that you know, bastion of uh, leftism. I, don't, I can't believe he can hold that job and be oblivious to what is really being taught in the public schools. That's a huge issue, it's been around the country, it's been discussed in the pages of the New York Times, every other big newspaper. It is discussed at school boards around the country, and yet Bruni's defense was, and trying to say, you know, they don't need to be doing this in Florida, you know, this is just the Republicans, the far-right Republicans picking on gay people. And honestly, even Marr, even Bill Marr, and the other woman who was on saying, no, nah, I don't think so. The truth is, I think probably Bruni does know exactly what happens in the public schools which is that, and if, again, going back to my friend's film, Rebecca Friedrich's film, you've got to see this, whose children are they? The, it's not illuminating and informing children about sexual matters that is occurring in public schools. It is flat out advocacy for children, especially young children, but children any age, flat out advocacy that children embrace the, the you know, trendy view right now that gender is fluid, like you may really have always thought you're a boy and you, you, know, you like to play like a boy, but you know, maybe inside you're really a girl. Planting in the minds of young children who aren't yet you know, sophisticated and rooted in their own identity yet and, and aware of the world, trying to create seeds of doubt and confusion. And it is a luring, as in L-U-R-I-N-G, luring advocacy mode that is causing, so on behalf of the LGBTQ community, what they push in public schools, that's causing parents to say, no, actually, do not spend your time trying to lure my kid into believing he really might be gay even though he thinks he's not, or he really might be a girl even though he's always been a boy. They want the schools to stop, and the LGBTQ activists, when they come up with some cutesy name like, don't say gay, they're, they're trying to claim the school is just, you know, never permitting discussion about anything related to uh, to being gay, which is not what the bill is at all. But it's it's a really, it's a, it's a hint, it's a reveal of how the left operates to get their way. They want to have the LGBTQ activists, they want very much to have the uh, advocacy for transgenderism, advocacy for gender fluidity, advocacy for, um, for uh, gay marriage and gay relationships. They want that in the schools, not just positive so the kids understand there's some issue out there at some point in their life, and when they're old enough to understand and process it, they want it as advocacy. And it's advocacy starting at very young ages. And you know, for this guy to act like he doesn't even, you know, what's even, how could this even be a problem? That's crazy. I mean, I really actually think it's a very healthy thing for America. In fact, this is part of the points made in the film very healthy in America that you had because of COVID and, and kids being taught at home because schools were closed, parents became aware of what kids were being taught on these topics and many others. And parents finally realized, wait a minute, you know, I maybe was okay with sex ed starting in seventh grade or whatever grade would have been the, the, you know, the norm. But realizing that, you know, while we were asleep, while we're trusting the schools, while we're just doing our lives and going to our jobs and taking care of our families and trusting the schools, the advocacy by the LGBTQ advocates had wormed its way into the public schools, into the curricula, into the agenda, into the minds of the uh, teachers and therefore students, an actual advocacy, a luring and enticing. And then it, what goes to that, of course, is when the schools uh, realize that many kids come from homes where this is not taught, you know, the schools are kind of telling the parents, you know, don't, um, you know, you don't, I mean, tr excuse me, schools and teachers telling the kids, your parents might not agree. You don't have to tell them anything. You, and you don't have to tell them about this if you don't want to. In fact, one thing Bill Maher read out loud from the bill was trying to crack down the idea that parents should not know what their kids are taught in school. I mean, just step back and think of that absurdity. The schools have become so much the, you know, the dictators of what kids should learn that they actually have had public pronouncements by teachers 
saying you know to kids you don't have to be telling your parents and saying to the teachers the parents don't have to know what their kids are taught this bill is wide-ranging really really uh, substantial and honestly when Bill Maher is kind of agreeing with the conservative side you know they're making a good point we're coming at the up at the bottom of the hour so for our radio listeners this is America can we talk our website is americacanwetalk.org my name is Debbie Georgiatis come back after a three-minute break we have another whole half an hour left to go come back after your break for our radio list for our online listeners and for everybody else I'll just tell you that I think this is a really healthy discussion to be having not just what kids should be taught but who gets to decide what kids should be taught? Because part of what happened, in fact, the film last night, this Whose Children Are They, made this point about uh, the um, communists throughout history, you know, Lenin and Marx, many of these strident you know, communist types made the point that they need to be able to get their teaching and thinking into the minds of children at the youngest possible ages. And so what you've seen happening in this advocacy in the public schools is getting the left-wing, anti-family, anti-Judeo-Christian value, anti-family agenda pushed into the public schools while many people are asleep at the wheel. So, and this, the movie was making the point, you know, they actually are your children. That was the point of the title. They are your children and you do have the right to, to control and be aware of what they are taught and, and to stop it. So, uh, you know, just huge congratulations to Jim, uh, to uh, Governor DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, and those who are just saying, we're going to put the parents back in charge and we're going to stop with the um, sexual advocacy uh, at very young ages. So probably more on that bill too. But I was, And then the other piece of it all was that um, Disney of all corporations who makes money off of wholesome families, you know, visiting all of their entertainment parks, um, tried to weigh in and tried to sway the legislature in Florida to vote against this bill, Disney of all things. And uh, Governor DeSantis pretty much made mincemeat out of Disney's um, advocacy. It was really great. Anyway, okay, on this quick uh, little time when there are friends on the radio are off, I'm probably going to continue this discussion when uh, they come back. But, you know, I, this, I do this show to speak up for and defend America. I want to defend the very idea of America, the uniqueness of America, and, and how... I, I want to highlight in every show and, and every issue, highlight the ways in which the anti-American left is just worming its way, seeping its way into American culture, academia, society, media, government, every facet, every cultural facet of America, the anti-American left is working its way in. One thing that's happening, which I find truly breathtaking, and has to do with this project, they're calling themselves the 65 Project, and I'm calling them the 65 Speech Censoring Project. I think this is truly, truly a mind-blowing effort because they're, they're doing it so overtly. They're not even hiding it. But here's a quick story. So ever since the elections of November 2020, the anti-American left has tried through many, many ways to silence conversation about election integrity. I mean, to literally, as we saw, we're about to have our radio listeners come back with us to join us. Okay, welcome back to our radio listeners. This is Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk? And I want to talk about this thing called the 65 Project. And the gist of the 65 Project, this is huge to understand, not just what they're doing, but how it plays into the larger it's a, it's like a you know peeling back the layers or, or you know removing the veil, seeing how leftists think about what they do and how they how forceful and determined they are to win every issue and to silence and shut down every opponent. So we have the November 2020 elections. We had then the January 6th event, which was in large part caused by the fact that even by then, by January 6th of 2021, many, many Americans were, were fully aware of allegations of very serious outcome-changing election fraud. So people were aware of things then. Since that time, more and more people become aware because of the many, many ways in which election fraud has been exposed. Uh, the election fraud outcome-changing election fraud as to the November 2020 election. So we have, for example, uh, we have Dinesh D'Souza's films coming out this fall. I believe it's called The 2000 Mules. 
M-U-L-E-S, mules. And it's the idea that the left paid to have the Zuckerberg drop boxes and mail-in ballot boxes uh, put in Democrat districts. And then the film is actually revealing information they got by, by gathering data from the uh, cell towers. So who's going where to show that there were thousands of votes of mail-in ballot votes cast by a small number of people dropping massive piles of alleged valid mail-in mail ballots into these boxes and going on their way. I mean, the, that when you're done watching that film, you will understand the mail-in ballot was a, a whole entire effort of 2020 was a massive vote fraud scheme. And then you have people fully aware of the data that we have out of Arizona, which uh, we continue to report on periodically, the information coming out of Wisconsin, where an actual former Wisconsin Supreme Court justice took the time, was hired to investigate all of the claims of election fraud. He came back with so many outrageous facts that, I mean, he said, he advised the Wisconsin legislature, you must decertify the election of 2020. You must publicly vote to say that the, we should not have certified the vote for Biden in November of 2020 because it was fraudulent. And there are just growing and growing, in, 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 especially in the important swing states. So all this evidence is accumulating for election fraud at the same time as of January 2021, when Biden came and uh, was, you know, he who occupies the White House was sworn in. You had, at the start of it, you had the Department of Homeland Security uh, floating the idea that right after the inauguration, floating the idea, you know, we may have to crack down these people. Very dangerous to be talking about election fraud. I mean, hinting at you might be in trouble with us if you talk about election fraud. And then you have the Department of Homeland Security, their bulletin now, I think it's four weeks ago now, uh, in which they announced that they would consider as potential domestic terrorists anybody who talked about uh, the November 2020 elections and, and claimed they were fraudulent. Anyone who challenged the government's you know, truth they have put forward that you know, the, the election was stolen. So you have just a massive, massive effort of the American left to say, we are shutting down all speech, all speech about the November 2020 elections. We also had, I didn't get to this the other day, I meant to mention to you, so Lieutenant General Michael Flynn was called before the January 6th committee. So he's up there in Washington, the January 6th Inquisition Committee, uh, to look into the, what happened January 6th. So Lieutenant General Flynn is up there, he's testifying before this committee, and as you know, you must testify under penalty of perjury, that's what you do. And he was asked about conversations he had at the White House with President Trump and others in which the discussion surrounded the question of whether or not President Trump should use his authority to seize some of the electronic voting machines to try to get hold of the data in those machines to figure out if there was election changing, uh, outcome changing election fraud, to seize those machines, which he, Trump, had the authority to do. This is written about by Patrick Byrne and many others. The point being, you know, Flynn's part of these conversations because people in the know are telling Trump there was massive election fraud and telling, you know, and, and so Trump is considering whether or not he should seize those voting machines. President Trump decided not to do that. And, and, and actually very late in the process, allegedly Trump uh, reached out again to some people involved in those discussions and saying, really, that's all, why I, I, can I still do that? It was just too late. But back to January 6th committee, so Flynn, Lieutenant General Flynn's up there in Washington testifying at the January 6th Inquisition Committee, and they asked him about conversations with Trump about, uh, the, about whether Trump should seize the voting machines. And Lieutenant General Michael Flynn pleaded the Fifth Amendment, the right not to incriminate yourself, which is, you know, in the Bill of Rights. He says he refused to answer based on my Fifth Amendment rights. So he refused to answer. And then immediately, of course, there was this outcry, see, see, he was going to lie, he knows it's criminal. I want to make this point because it's so important to understand. Flynn, first of all, anyone who claims the Fifth Amendment, who takes the Fifth Amendment, has the right to do that. And people often do it for reasons, not because they think they're actually guilty of a crime, but for many other reasons uh, that are just too, uh, I mean, you learn about this in law school, they teach you this in law school, you should never infer from the fact that someone 
chose to exercise their Fifth Amendment rights, you shouldn't infer that they are guilty. But the thing that's so crucial to understand about this, it's really, really important before I get into this uh, 65 project. What the left in America is trying to do, the anti-American left, the Democrat Marxist party is trying to do, is to say that, and to establish essentially, any conversation surrounding election fraud in 2020 is, can possibly be used as a basis for number not only calling you a domestic terrorist, which is what the DH, uh, Department of Homeland Security has said, but actually as a possible basis for charging insurrection. It's really important to get this. They're saying you can't have a conversation about what you think about whether or not there was electronic election fraud uh, in the voting machines, whether or not you think there were fraudulent mail-in ballots, any conversation you might have had that surrounds the question of the validity of the election of 2020, if you engage that conversation where the leftist heading is, they want to be able to say you are guilty of insurrection. You are trying to lead an insurrection against Biden by talking about the fraudulent efforts that occurred, the fraudulent events that occurred in the November 2020 elections. And given that that's where the left is headed, they're trying to say for Trump even talking about election fraud is potentially considered insurrection. This is where they're headed with Lieutenant General Flynn, which means, of course, it's the only answer he could give. He had to give that answer. I'll take the Fifth Amendment, because he can't even say, yeah, we're having conversations about the validity of the electronic election, uh, electronic voting machines, and whether there was any hacking into those machines, whether there was fraud. He understands admitting he had a conversation like that might be contorted and manipulated by the anti-American left to say, you can't even talk about that. That may be the basis of charging you with insurrection. So that's why Flynn did this. Now, segueing to the story I want to talk about, the 65 uh, Project. The 65 Project, the name came because someone realized that at some point they did the tally, there were 65 lawsuits that had been brought um, uh, with respect to people challenging uh, the uh, elections of 2020, challenging all sorts of things that occurred in the 2020 elections that were simply uh, illegal or perhaps uh, not consistent with um, with state law. So the 65 Project is a bunch of attorneys who have banded together with the idea that they are going to try to sue lawyers. They want to hold accountable individual lawyers for filing lawsuits challenging the 2020 election. And they're seeking, in some cases, disbarment. They want to say, if you're a lawyer and you filed a lawsuit alleging election fraud, that, that loss, those lawsuits should, should be and can be considered, in their terms, fraudulent and malicious lawsuits. They're saying you can't even try to get the court's help to look at the evidence of election fraud. People, if anything, constitutes flat out, it's not even, censoring is not even a strong enough term. It's flat out tyranny. It is the left, it's the, these lawyers acting the same way as the Department of Homeland Security is acting, acting the same way that the January 6th Insurrection Committee is acting, which is to say, we won an election, we the radical anti-American left won, or we got the courts to say we won, we got our guy in the White House, and no one's allowed to talk about it. No one's allowed to question the election. No one's allowed to file a lawsuit in order to get the evidence in front of a judge or a jury. No one can talk about it. This is what tyrants do. This is what dictators do. This is the conduct of a government completely immersed in its own sense of absolute power over the people. No one is allowed to question their authority. And that is what this 65 Project is doing. They are openly, they're not even hiding it. They're openly going after lawyers who had the audacity to file lawsuits related to the November 2020 elections. Lawsuits which, I will shall remind you, most of them ended up in front of judges who did not want to deal with the overwhelming public controversy and anger that was, that was the, the country was filled with anger on the part of people who believe the election was stolen. 
and these judges did not want to deal with it. Nearly all of the lawsuits were dismissed on procedural grounds. Either, you know, standing, you're not the right plaintiff, you don't have standing to bring this lawsuit, or it is premature, or it is too late, whatever the basis, they found procedural basis to dismiss these lawsuits, not entertaining the substance of the lawsuits, not entertaining the evidence underlying the claims in the lawsuits. So now this group of lawyers, and they're not even embarrassed, they're not even ashamed to say, we want to punish. This is this vicious attitude, this vicious, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton used to complain about Republicans saying they engaged in scorched earth politics, and Hillary, and Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton being the epitome of, the leaders of, the people who, you know, established how to do it, scorched earth politics. This is scorched earth conduct by lawyers saying, no one's even allowed to challenge the 2020 elections. And the reason that they are so upset is because they realize that many of these cases are convincing the American public to begin to doubt the authenticity, the legitimacy of the 2020 elections. So their answer is not to allow the lawsuits to be filed, to allow the courts and juries to see the evidence, to allow the other side to present whatever their evidence is, and for everyone to see the facts. Their answer is telling lawyers in this country, you shut up. Nobody challenges the Democrat Party. Nobody challenges the Biden regime. We have him in office. We have the radical left running this country, and no one's even allowed to file a lawsuit. And if you do, they're not just trying to say, asking the courts to dismiss the lawsuits. They're going after these lawyers, at least to get damages, to punish them for filing these lawsuits, and in some cases, seeking their disbarment. I mean, the audacity, and especially lie of the fact, let me just say, especially lie of the fact that we had to listen for four years under President Trump, the entire anti-American left, the Democrat party, the leaders of the party, the leaders in Washington, all of the mainstream, the left-wing anti-American media, we had to listen to them for four years claim that Trump was illegitimate, claim that there was this Trump-Russia collusion hoax that got Trump into power, that the entire election of 2016 was fraudulent. We had to listen to the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax on the front page of papers for three and a half years, depositions, lawyer statements, pompous pontificating, and there was nothing to it. And nobody did this. No one on the conservative side engaged in this vitriolic, vengeful attack on the people on the left who pushed the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax. But leftists, how they see the world, if anyone challenges our guy, hook, line, and sinker, we are going to go after you. We are going to take you down. Scorched earth doesn't even do justice to what they are doing. It's an outrageous effort by anti-American lawyers saying no one's allowed to challenge. And, and, and interestingly, as the evidence of election fraud grows, they're saying to lawyers, we will shut you down. If you not just shut you down, we will go for lawsuits against you, we'll seek damages, we'll try to get your bar license pulled, because no one's allowed to say this. People, you, you've got to get outraged about this and understand how evil it is. Okay, that was, uh, that was longer than I meant to talk about that, pro that thing, but it is so important to understand what a window it is and how leftists think about what they're entitled to do, which is to tell the rest of America to shut up, and you have to believe this project by the 65 censoring lawyers you have to believe it's a message to every other lawyer, legislator in this country, state and federal level, don't even think about pursuing election fraud because we'll come after you next. It's vengeful, it is outrageous, and it actually should be the self the subject of disciplinary proceeding by the bar against the people bringing these lawsuits. All right, we have two other topics I'm gonna try to hit. First of all, the Veritas Project, I mention all the time, this is James O'Keefe's organization. I mean, he got so much stuff out of the New York Times, and because we're gonna run out of time, I'm gonna ask uh, Mr. Becker. This was this amazingly, I mean, I find it really entertaining, but a video uh, taken by a, um, being filmed by someone who's out at lunch or dinner with this New York Times reporter, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, who doesn't realize he's being recorded and you know the word veritas is truth and you know in vino veritas when you're drunk you tell the truth when you don't know you're being recorded and you think you're just in privacy you tell the truth let me just play that next segment ask becker mr becker to play that
CIA and the NSA and involved Trump and involved that ridiculous like P-Pape, which of course doesn't exist. You know, whenever there's an eruption in our newsroom, whenever black staffers, Dean's able to say like, yo, I work in newsroom, colleagues might use the so like back down. I think there's like a real internal tug of war between like the reasonable people and some of the crazier lefty shit that's worked its way in there in ways that we're deeply unhappy about. How does that influence you guys up in your time? Oh, you've read the paper lately? Once again, Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times journalist Matthew Rosenberg describes to our undercover journalist how he would create ridiculous stories with government officials no less that go on to generate national coverage and outrage from the rest of the media. We do not reveal sources. Yes. Well, this one I gotta be very careful with this one. Oh, fair. But it's great, it involved CIA and NSA, it involved Trump, it involved that ridiculous, like, P-Pape, which of oh. course doesn't exist. Does um, no. um, maybe it does, I mean, nobody's ever gonna see it if it does. But it involved people claiming they had it, which of course they didn't. Right. It was great. Writing a story about a claim that Rosenberg knew was false. Ironically, he's not all that impressed with the writing talent of his colleagues, including Adam Goldman. Do they not know what, like, the story is? That's the problem, is that, like, they're not the clearest thinkers sometimes, so, like... How are they working for the New York Times, You'd then? be amazed. What do you mean? There's some people who just can't write, right? Like who? Like a lot of my colleagues. Like, who? So, who I know Goldman. not to write? Goldman's a terrible... No, he's a really good reporter, and editors do it on her writing for him. He's a terrible writer. But he's, like, more than value, more than makes up for it with his reporting skills, which are amazing. Right, but he sucks at writing. He's a terrible writer. Why? He's just not good at conceptualizing things. He's not good with words. So it's, 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 it's a skill. It's a hard one. Mm -hmm. As if weak writing within the New York Times top reporters wasn't enough, Rosenberg shockingly comments on our very defamation lawsuit against the New York Times, the one where we got past motion to dismiss in New York State, and the reason why opinion can influence their news telling. My friend was saying um, that you guys are you know, in a lawsuit with like, like James O'Connor. Yeah. Who is it? James O'Keefe. That was a f***ed up. What? That was a f*** up. We might well lose that one. And these are just journalistic opinions? I think they're human beings. So if our broader culture is in a moment where everybody thinks they, they, they know best, that's going to end up reflecting itself. We're part of that culture. Okay, we're going to have to do more with that next week because I only have a few minutes left. I didn't want a quick story. But honestly, I think it's kind of a great thing for America to see in the, within the New York Times. You know, if you're, if you're at all on the conservative side of the aisle, for years you just kind of, you know, eye-rolled about the New York Times. and they, Not to be taken seriously. You know, they're just a left-wing, uh, you know, advocacy group. The New York Times and Washington Post are not taken seriously by conservatives. And I don't mean right-wing extremists or something. I just mean the average conservative recognizes not where you go to find truth. They are just, even if in, historically they were more, had, uh, had more honor, had more integrity, had more legitimacy, had more journalistic uh, clarity, that weren't biased. The fact is what they are now, they're just pretty much left-wing, um, you know, they, they push the left-wing agenda in a variety of ways. And this particular thing is interesting because he's spilled the beans now, talked about his fellow, his colleagues there, you know, not very good writers. Um, and he actually, for him to say, if you don't recall, I'm sorry for the crass term, the P-tapes, but this is the, one of the reasons that the entire uh, Russian dossier uh, was viewed to be so explosive way back with the Russian dossier also itself a complete concoction by the left, no connection to facts. But this didn't stop the uh, left wing, it didn't stop the FBI, the DOJ from going after Trump about it and causing, uh, telling him there was concern about it, didn't, didn't stop the entire Russia collusion hoax stuff springing off originally off of the dossier and this, uh, you know, alleged tape that, uh, as he's now saying, doesn't even exist. And, you know, you, you'd like at a time like this when you're getting this kind of admission, this uh, veritas, out of someone who doesn't know he's being recorded and is now, I mean, I guess there's chaos inside the New York Times, you would love to think that there was leadership in the New York Times that would do some serious pondering, serious, what do we want to be known as? Are, are, is it good enough for people who strive to be journalists and whose life dream is to be a journalist 
and to be hired by one of the major papers, is it good enough for us now that the public knows a lot of things like this? Why don't we want to be better? Why do we, I mean, a lot of what you'll hear if you listen to the whole long tape is, he knows this guy, Matthew Rosenberg, Pulitzer winning writer, Pulitzer Prize winning for New York Times, knows he's writing things that aren't true and keeps writing them because they attack the conservatives. They, they make conservatives look bad. They make Trump look bad. I mean, this is like, you know, I, I have a, a very dear friend who's a journalist and who's often telling me all about, and she's taught in journalism in college, and she's talked about the idea that, you know, they're so careful in how they teach students how to be a good journalist, how to be unbiased, how to check your sources, how to double check, how to, and that, that there's all these things are really taught in journalism school. And yet we get to where we are now in America. New York Times cannot even, uh, you, know, you, you can't even, you pick up the New York Times and, and mostly people, uh, the left treats it as the Bible and the right just eye rolls and dismisses it. And it would be a really great thing for America if the New York Times were to be able to come around and say, you know what, actually we're gonna do some house cleaning and some rethinking and recommit ourselves to truth. I don't know if it will happen, but it's actually a great thing for Americans to be seeing this and recognizing this is the New York Times that you treat as so, as so um, trustworthy. You know, I had another story today, uh, but I'm not gonna get to it. I, I wanna talk a little about Tulsi Gabbard and how she's going back and forth with Mitt Romney, um, which is completely actually, it's entertaining, but it's also very, very serious. I think I'm gonna save it for tomorrow um, because tomorrow um, I'll have time to really get into this story. The Ukraine-Russia thing is, um, event episode unfolding episodes very complex uh, a lot of competing you know uh, supposedly false stories being put out uh, but at least this Tulsi Gabbard and, and a Mitt Romney exchange was very something we all can see what happened and I think is an important story I'll leave it till tomorrow we're about out of time for our radio listeners I want to tell our radio listeners two things again this is Debbie Georgiatis my show is America can we talk our website is America can we talk.org also I want to tell you that to support this show, you can go to that website, subscribe to our newsletter, and you can also join America Can We Talk for a mere $50 a year to be part of our team. You can also go to MyPillow.com, MyPillow.com, order everything you want at the promo code at the end, put in Debbie G, Debbie G, you get up to 66% off on everything you order. I urge you to do that, but I mostly urge radio listeners that you tune in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I'll talk to you tomorrow. For everybody else, for online listeners, um, I will get this Tulsi Gabbard story tomorrow. Um, but for today, I want to tell you, as I do at the close of every show, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start out talking about Biden's bottomless polling pit. You know, I... Um, uh, it's truly very, very um, shocking to the left to find out how deeply unpopular Biden and his policies are. But 7 in 10 Americans think the country's on the wrong track. 70% disapproval of Biden handling of the inflation and gas prices, blaming Putin, uh, not flying with the American people. Uh, nothing Biden is doing is making any sense. Shut off domestic oil supplies, but try to buy oil from Venezuela, a Russian ally. And apparently, by the way, Venezuela laughed off Biden's request. Wide open southern border. Nothing he's doing makes sense. America's angst is growing. You may not unanimously agree on exactly what's causing it, but Biden isn't leading, speaking, or acting like an American president. And I'll say one more thing. And nothing you ever hear out of his administration talks about love of America. Whose Children Are They? DeSantis versus Disney. Rebecca Friedrichs, Whose Children Are They? debuted nationwide yesterday powerful nonpartisan wake-up call to all American parents coincides with Americans siding with DeSantis against Disney and other wokists Americans do not want the sexualization of kindergartners leftist chants of don't say gay do not resonate why does sexuality ever become integral to the public school teaching agenda moral teaching is best left for parents at home unprecedented for parents to become a group identity with political power, but it's where we are in America today. And, and those parents may be a sleeping giant, now awake in the effort to restore America. And the 65 speech censoring project, Dem-sponsored effort to disbar lawyers or sue them for damages who brought cases challenging the legitimacy of the 2020 election. Democrats spent four plus years challenging the legitimacy of Trump's 2016 election 
compelled a 30 million plus Mueller investigation based on zero actual evidence of election fraud, fabricated a Russia collusion hoax to propel the investigation and media hysteria. There's overwhelming evidence of election fraud in 2020. More all the time. Read Emerald Robinson's 25 big questions that Democrats can't answer about the 2020 election because they know they cheated. I urge you to read that. Hypocrisy and double standards know no limits on the American left and they never stop. And on the more veritas truth out of the New York Times, New York Times reporter acknowledges they always knew the infamous Trump P tape never existed. Follows reporters admission that the New York Times always knew January 6th was not an insurrection. Project Veritas videos are supremely credible. Reporters guard is down, proudly letting the truth be known about how much they lie. New York Times has become a poster child for morally untethered intellectualism. Will enough Americans ever rise up and stop paying attention to it? Mr. Becker, let's stop there. We're going to leave alone. I had a slide ready for uh, Romney and um, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. We'll save it for tomorrow. I do want to tell you for tomorrow's show, I, I have a woman joining me. I deeply, deeply respect her name, Reggie Littlejohn. She is the founder of an organization that helps defend women and, uh, and protect them against unwanted abortions in China. So Reggie Littlejohn, huge national figure. She's also leading the charge now on helping Americans recognize that the, uh, what we're being pushed from the American left to accept, you know, the um, vaccination status cards, vax passports, or in some cities now they're calling it health meter passport, health passport. Try give it a happy name. She is trying to raise the warning bell that what the left is doing with these health passports you know, vaccine passports, these are a giant step towards falling into what the uh, unfortunate people of China have to live with every day, which is their social credit score system. She's leading the charge in a variety of ways. She's joining us tomorrow. I urge you to tune in tomorrow to watch her. And I also to tune in, I urge you to tune in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do this show because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Like a crashing can you hear us now? America, can we talk truth about America?